Hello and welcome to Coffee House Questions. This is Ryan Polly. Today on the show, we are going to be talking about a few different speaking events that I have had recently, a series of atheist role plays. I actually did six of them in one week. Uh, this was a few weeks back, but since I've had interviews the last few weeks, I haven't had a chance to share my thoughts for it kind of happened from these different atheist role plays. So that's what we're going to be talking about on the show today. Now, kind of going back, I hope that you have enjoyed our conversations lately, uh, the two different conversations with Dr. John Marriott, uh, the one with Dr. Sean McDowell, as well as Jay Warner Wallace. I know I enjoyed reading their books, uh, discussing that content with them, and I sure hope that that was also a benefit to you. I hope that you learned from that. I hope that you're able to maybe go pick up their books and, and, and learn some of the value, valuable tools that we can use as we train up the next generation. And so uh, that was just so much fun for me and so exciting, but I'm glad to be back here talking with you today. Today was just, ah, man, a beautiful day. I just wanna take a step back for a second. One thing I always teach my students, and I try not to give very much homework on the weekends if I ever do, uh, because I do think that we need to get outside and enjoy God's creation. Normally that includes me going on a bike ride. This today was a beautiful day, and it ended up being me going out and enjoying other people's bike rides. I found out that there was the Tour of California, which I guess is a prep ride for the Tour de France, where the riders started up in Sacramento and rode about 770 miles down the coast of California down to Pasadena. And so it's just awesome going out, uh, being able to see this the, the beauty of God's creation, took a little hike uh, through uh, Pasadena near the Rose Bowl, as well as just the people that have been creating the image of God and, and using their talents and abilities uh, to do something incredible, like ride 700 miles in seven days. I can't believe it. They ride about 100 miles a day, and that just blows me away. But uh, that is just something so much fun I had uh, going on today. My wife and I were able to go. Also, I have not had a chance to update you on some uh, events that I'm doing this summer. And so I want to kind of get around to that and let, and let you know what's happening, as well as uh, let you know that you can contact me and, and book something. My summer is pretty full. Starting in June, things get really busy. I'm at seven summer camps or summer retreats with high school students or junior high students. I'm up at Hume Lake Christian Camp on June 19th on July 17th and on August 7th. And so if your groups are going to be up there on any of those days, I'd love to see you up there as well. I'll be at Alpine Summer Camp uh, from June 30 to July 3rd, and then again from July 7th to July 12th. And then I'm also going up to Apologetics Immersive Experience with Maven up to Berkeley at the end of June. And so that'll kind of come up in the conversation a little bit today, uh, but super excited about those uh, trips. And as always, there's ways that you can contact and send in your questions. I have had a lot of short answer Q&As that I've done with my students and posted them recently. Some of the videos that have happened, uh, let's see if I can pull them up right here. Oh, I just clicked on the wrong thing. Some of the recent questions uh, now that I found it is, uh, why do Christians think that all things come from God? How do we talk about hell in a nice way? Like when someone says, why does God send good people to hell and, and let the murderer who accepts him at the very end of their life get into heaven? How can we know that what we're doing is actually morally right? How can I fix broken relationship that's unknowingly my fault? Uh, did God command genocide in the Old Testament? Can Christians get baptized more than once? If objective morali if morality is objective, then why are some cultures so different, like those that practice cannibalism? So those are just some of the videos that I've been posting on Instagram 
and uh, on YouTube, the YouTube channel for my questions of the day. And so you guys can check those out. And then also send in your own questions, any comments that you have about the show, any of your thoughts that you have. Uh, many ways to do that. You can email them at contact at coffeehousequestions.com. You can uh, send them in on facebook.com slash coffeehousequestions or at Twitter or Instagram at ryanpolly 3 Text them in at 714-989-6927. So all the ways you can connect and uh, hear about what's going on, follow uh, the people that I'm interviewing, send in your own questions, and I'd love to discuss some things more in depth with you. So jumping into our show today, I recently was asked to go to a high school, actually it was over my spring break, it was a different high school, and uh, do five different atheist role plays. And so these students were uh, part of um, their senior theology and apologetics class, and they're kind of getting to the end of the year, and they wanted to bring in someone to kind of test their students, to to kind of give an actual conversation uh, like someone would have with an atheist and kind of see how prepared and ready they were and and trying to build their confidence. And then I also was able to do one uh, the day before with a group of adults. And and these things are so much fun. And oftentimes people don't understand exactly uh, maybe why I or other people do them. But when we do them, um, what we see is that it, it helps students grow so much. It is, it's just a tremendous growth in confidence in, in how to respond to some thoughts and to hearing new objections that maybe they haven't heard before and having to think on the spot. It's just an amazing thing. Uh, But recently, actually, there was uh, some articles that came out because Stand a Reason had published uh, talking about how uh, someone had gone to an, uh, a summer camp, done an atheist role play, used some Stand a Reason uh, materials like The Story of Reality by Greg Kokel, and then do- did the atheist role play. And the, they were kind of stumped by the students. The students were so well prepared, uh, they were able to ask really, really good questions, and they were kind of stumped. And I've seen some, th- some similar things like this uh, to where we have trained students really, really well, and then take them up to Berkeley, and we have actual atheists come in and speak to the students. Uh, We take them onto Berkeley's campus where they can talk to students. And our students are able to hold their their own in conversations. They're able to think very clearly. They're able to think accurately and ask really good questions that really cause the person they're talking to to stop and think. And one recent story was that after a trip to Berkeley with Maven, a student ended up sitting next to a college professor, philosophy professor and an atheist. And after a long conversation, the professor told this high school student, man, you've given me a lot to think about. And that is so cool. And that is so exciting that when you are prepared with answers to these questions, to these objections, uh, then we're not going to be freaking out. We're not going to uh, be kind of lost for words, but the students have this confidence to prepare and to think well. And so Stand a Reason had shared uh, this. Well, it was uh, grabbed by an, uh, an atheist uh, who's writing at the Friendly Atheist uh, website, and he presented his view of what he thought was happening. Now, he titled the article, A Christian Bible, Cla- Bible Camp Brought in a Fake Atheist So Kids Could Stump Him. Right. And it was this idea of that since in the article it talked about how the kids did stump this guy, that he assumed that this is what happens. And he actually kind of gives a, a mock conversation right here. And here's how he says he thinks that the atheist went. And then I'm going to share how uh, my atheist role play actually goes. So here's his guess and what he imagines the conversation went like Atheist, evolution is real. Kids, then why are there still monkeys? Atheist, oh man, you got me, but at least I'm a good person. Kids, you can't be good without God. 
atheist. Oh no, this is hard. Um, um, Jesus is a myth. Kids, no, he's not. The Bible says so. Atheist, you win again. I'm going to go eat lunch now. Kids, here's a banana. Atheist, ah. And he goes on to say, and I agree with this part. He goes on to write, you don't learn how good of a team you have through practice scrimmages. You only learn it through actual games when there's something on the line for both sides. And and I agree with that, is that this is not going to prepare the atheists. If this is what happened, this is ridiculous. This is not going to help the students do well. And that is not how I or others that I know of do the atheist role plays. So what I want to do is I want to actually give what is my introduction when I am invited to go do an atheist role play. And then I want to talk about some of the things that were brought up and some of the questions that these students had. So uh, when I was specifically invited to the high school students, I was introduced as a college professor from Chapman University. So the kids did think I was an actual atheist. And the reason their Bible teacher wanted to do this is because they felt like when the students think that they're talking to a real atheist, it's very different, right? When the students know that you're role-playing, uh, it's not taken as seriously at times. Uh, it's a little bit different. There's not as much maybe a pressure or, or whatever. When they think that they're talking to a real atheist, then uh, things change. And so I think that this is not necessarily just lying to them. I think that this is a deception, uh, but for a good reason. It's, it's for their benefit. And at the end, we actually, you know, we, I reveal who I am. But here's how I started with the high school students. Introduced me and I walked up to the front. I said, hey, class, guys, thank you so much. You know, first of all, I want to just say, I'm really excited and I'm really proud of you guys that you are doing something like this. It is very uh, unique and it's not very common in our culture to have a group of Christian students like this invite in someone like me, an atheist uh, professor uh, who has very different ideas, right? We love to stay in our own little groups. We love to stay uh, with people that agree with us because that's easier. And so I just really would just want to encourage you and I just want to applaud you uh, for even doing something like this because this was not my story. So my story was that I, I grew up in a Christian home. Uh, I grew up in a Christian family and I actually went to Christian school. Uh, but there was something that changed and it was, and it was after high school. You know, I grew up kind of in that Christian bubble where I didn't experience things. My school didn't bring in people like this. But it was in my freshman year of college that I started to meet people who were different than me. I started to meet people who really not, not only just held different views, but really believed views that were different. And, and I started to realize that the reason people hold these different views is because of the family they're born in and the location of their birth. Right? That I was born in a Christian family and I was a Christian. But my friends that were born in Muslim families or Muslims or my friends that were born in, in Mormon families are Mormon. And, and often I realize that there is a huge uh, connection between where you are born and what you believe. And if you were born in the Middle East, that you would probably be a Muslim. If you were born in India, you'd probably be Hindu. And if you were born in kind of Southeast Asia, you'd probably be a Buddhist. Right? And the reason you're a Christian is, is because you were born in America and you're born in a Christian family. And that's the only reason that you're a Christian. But then I stopped and I thought, well, is there something different? Um, maybe it's not, it's not, it can't be the only reason that I'm a Christian. You know, I've had a religious experience. I've, I've felt God. I've experienced God. And then I realized that so did my Mormon friends. But I thought that they were wrong. I thought that their experience was mistaken. And so I realized that I can't trust my experience uh, because everyone is having these experiences that, that are claiming different and contradictory things. And so, look, I, I don't think that what I believe, I, I don't have any good reason to believe. And so I don't think it's actually true. 
And so what I'm left with now is, is kind of a materialistic, uh, atheistic perspective. But it's not just that, right? And that's just kind of letting you know where I'm at now, right? Now I would hold to materialism, that I believe that only the material world exists. I'd probably be a naturalist, that, that, that all things have a natural explanation for their existence. And that's kind of where I'm at now. But what happened, it was, a, it was a few year process. And so as I started to realize that, you know, I only believe this because I was born in a Christian family and that my religious experiences don't really help because everyone has these, I started actually looking into scripture. I said, well, I believe in God, surely, right? And then I started thinking about who God is. Well, the God of the Bible is, is Trinity. He's a triune God. He's three persons in one person. Well, that's a logical contradiction. You can't have three gods in one God, right? The Bible clearly says, you know, there's only one God, but then it also says that Jesus is God and the Holy Spirit is God and the Father is God. And so now you have three gods in one God. That's a logical contradiction, right? The math is simple. One plus one plus one is three. Now, Christians try to get all fancy and they'll say, well, no, it's one times one times one. And so you still get one. And that's just a silly word game trying to clarify or, or, or get around an issue that you have. One plus one plus one is three. Three gods is not one God. This can't be true. So there's a massive contradiction right there just within your view of God. But then we look at the Bible more specifically. And in the first chapter of Genesis, we have a huge problem, is that the earth is created, and then the sun doesn't appear and is not created until day four. Right? But we understand that morning and evening come from earth rotation around the sun, that the, the, the earth is in orbit around the sun. But if there's no sun, then the earth surely can't be orbiting. And are we spinning? Are we just floating through, uh, through the universe? How, do, how is this even working? This goes against everything that we understand in science. But then there's another big issue is then you flip over to Genesis chapter 2 and you find out that Genesis chapter 2 completely contradicts Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1 says that man was created last a part of creation, and then Eve created from man. But in Genesis chapter 2, man is created first. It says that man is created, then man is placed in the garden, then plants grow out of the ground and surround him, and then animals are created and brought to him for him to name. And so there's a massive contradiction right in the first two chapters of Genesis 1 and Genesis chapter 2, where they get the creation order completely mixed up. You could keep going and you could look at the, the numbers within the Old Testament. Like when you look at First and Second Kings compared to First and Second Chronicles, you know, one story has a king being uh, born at, uh, becoming king at eight years old. The other one says 18. Another story says that Solomon had 2,000 horses, where another one says that he had 20,000. Uh, and so even within these, these uh, comparison or these, these, the stories that are supposed to be the same, their numbers are different. And so obviously there's mistakes here. But then you could jump over to the New Testament. In the genealogies of Jesus, you have two different genealogies. The birth of Jesus, one gospel says that after Jesus was born, they went into, uh, they fled into Egypt. Another gospel says after Jesus was born, they went to Jerusalem for the purification rites. Uh, when Jesus was crucified. There are four different messages above his head. Every gospel says something different above his head on the cross. Uh, how many days, how many nights was he in the tomb? If he died on a Friday night and rose on a Sunday morning, that's one day and two nights. But Christians believe he's dead for three days and three nights. You could look at how many angels were at the tomb. One says one angel, another one says two angels. And we could keep going with these problems, but what it shows is that the Bible is full of mistakes. In fact, even your own Bible admits it has mistakes. If you look at the end of John chapter 7, beginning of John chapter 8, it says that this story doesn't appear in the earliest manuscripts, the woman caught in adultery, the story that most many of us know. 
where she's caught in adultery. Jesus writes something in the sand and the people walk away and they don't stone her. The long ending of Mark also says is not found in the earliest manuscripts. So I could keep going, but what I show is that, or what hopefully I've shown you and you've seen, is that your very idea and doctrine of God is logically impossible, and the Bible is so full of mistakes and contradictions, and it even admits that it has mistakes, that you surely can't trust anything else that you learn from Scripture. And so I don't know why you're Christian. I don't know why you still hold to this. So unless you have something different, besides you're simply just born into a Christian family, and you felt like you have some religious experience, I would love to hear it. But other than that, I don't know why you guys are Christians. Why are you? What are you, what are you doing here? Well, all right, that is the end of my story, right? So that's about seven minutes or so uh, that I go on and I share uh, what's going on. And I share uh, the story that I've kind of come up with. And if you think about what I just said, does that sound like anything like uh, at this website that this uh, friendly atheist that um, Hemet Mehta um, Menta that, that he presented of that evolution is true, then why are there still monkeys? Of course, no. Right, I, I'm pulling out uh, arguments uh, that I have heard many atheists make before. And I'm trying my best to stump the kids because here is the thing. You don't learn how good of a team you are unless you play against the best. When you play against the best and they really beat you, guess what it shows you? You don't know very much or you're not that good and you have stuff to work on. In fact, that's one of the first questions after I finish, I ask a few questions to the students. The first one is, how did you feel? Give me a feeling word. Uh, uh, what, if you give me one word to uh, describe how you felt, what would it be? And students often say, I was confused. I was angry. I was upset. Um, I was uh, nervous. Um, those are often the words that come up. And then I ask them on a scale of one to 10, how well they did right? Rate yourself from one being we got destroyed by the atheist to 10 being we destroyed the atheist. Rate yourself. And normally the average rating is about a two or a three, maybe a four. uh, And some people try to give themselves negative, right? So the goal is to beat them up because then we realize and go, okay, if you just rated yourself a three out of 10, that's failing, then how seriously are you taking the command by Jesus to go to make disciples of all nations, to be an ambassador for Christ, an ambassador is someone who knows about what they are doing, what they have, and then they understand the culture they're going to so that they can work together well. Right? Can you imagine an ambassador of the United States that shows up in South Africa and they ask him, well, what's America? Uh, you know, What do you do with this? And they're like, well, you know, we have 50 states and... Um, uh, we have a government, and we vote our president, and yeah, right? That's a terrible ambassador. And so hopefully uh, that we, we, we help the students realize that they don't know very much. They're not taking this seriously. The command in First Peter, Peter 3.15 to always be ready to give an answer, response to the hope that is in you, uh, we're not often ready for that. And that is the goal. In fact, that's one thing that happened during the adult atheist role play that I did. The, chill, the kids normally, high school kids, will normally keep asking questions and asking questions and, and pushing and, and, and doing those sort of stuff because they're not as scared. In the adult role play I had, it got very quiet. And I was pushing them. Why are you guys saying stuff? Why? Come on. What, what about this? What about this? And I was asking questions. And I had some say, I'm, I don't want to say anything because whatever I say, you're just going to push against. Right? Is that being prepared to give a response, to give an answer, to give a defense for the hope that we have. That's not. 
if we're too afraid that someone is going to push back, that, that someone is going to present a counter-argument to what we have, therefore we remain silent, then as I mentioned in that role play, then what I'm saying, I guess, wins, right? Here's my point. Here's my reason. Do you have any defense? Do you have any counterpoint? No? Okay, cool. So you guys are going to believe me? And then they go, well, no. Well, why not? Well, I, you know, well, I don't know. Well, that doesn't seem very open-minded, right? So are we actually looking at evidence? Are we looking at reasons? Or are we and thinking through things clearly? Or are we kind of just stuck in what it is that we believe? So the students ask a lot of questions. Now, I think it's interesting in this atheist post, uh, the first one is evolution is real. And the kids say, well, then why are there still monkeys? Um, every time this comes up in a, a, a talk or anything I do with students, I always point out this is a terrible, terrible response. I don't know any evolutionary biologist teaching that, that humans came from monkeys. Right? Evolution teaches that both humans and apes have a common ancestor. That it's not that we came from monkeys. And, and you hear this all the time. It's like, well, if, if evolution is real, then why are there still monkeys? Why haven't they all changed into humans? Because that's not how it works. But one question I often ask the students is, is when I do these role plays, they'll say that, um, you know, evolution is, is false. And I'll say, okay, raise your hand if you think evolution is false. And most of them raise their hand. And then I say, well, can someone define evolution for me? And that becomes very difficult. They maybe say, well, like a common ancestor. And I go, okay, belief in a common ancestor. So can you please tell me the mechanism that drives evolution, the two mechanisms? And almost never can they do it, right? That this idea of random genetic mutations being acted upon by natural selection. And the whole point is, and I'll bring this out, if, if you don't even know what it is, why do you think it's false? How could you possibly think something is false when you don't even know what it is? We need to be careful that we understand our view and other views. Now, this also brings up this idea of being good without God. Now, when I ask students, uh, okay, what do you want to go over, right? After I reveal that I'm a Christian and I say, what do you want to go over? They will normally come back to moral arguments. In fact, that was the main argument that my, the students brought up in the role play that I did with them was the moral argument. How can you be good without God? And then they want to go back to the Bible contradictions, Right. So with, with the moral argument, the students, I was kept telling them, man, you are so close. Each class kept pushing me on that because it's one thing that they had gone over in their class. It is a very powerful argument for God's existence that, that in order for there to be objective morality, God has to exist. We've talked about that on the show a lot. But one thing that they kept doing is they kept saying, okay, well, then how do you explain objective morality? Because I, I, when I role play an atheist, I say that I believe in objective morality. Okay, what's your grounding? Human flourishing. That we as humans understand that it is good for us to exist. We want to exist. And so it's based on human flourishing. And so if what you're doing helps human flourishing, then it's good. And what you're doing uh, is against human flourishing, it's bad. And then they go, well, where do you get that idea? I said, well, it's evolution. It's been built into us. And I will normally actually quote uh, out of Romans chapters one and two and say, look, I believe the same thing you do, right? When the apostle Paul wrote in Romans that the moral law had been written on their hearts so that they were without excuse, he understood that morality was something built into us. I just disagree on who it was built in by. You say God, I say evolution. But again, you have no evidence for God. So I'm going to stick with evolution. That's normally what I'll say. And they kind of kept pushing me and I kept saying, well, but it's human flourishing. It's human flourishing. Where they would stop though, and they get so close, is they wouldn't push on of where do I get this standard of human flourishing? And who's flourishing? And what exactly does it mean to flourish? 
This is a recent kind of conversation I had with a student talking about, you know, uh, who gets to define what is good? Well, it's what benefits people. Well, benefit is another word that means good, right? If you're going to say that there is objective morality, there is right and wrong, well, benefit, benefit in what way? And as we've talked about on this show is that evil is defined as the absence of good and good is that which goes along or that which matches God's original design, the way that God designed and created things to function, then that is a good thing to use it in that way. To go against that would be wrong, would be evil. But these students were so close, and I really encouraged them afterwards uh, of how close they were, of how they were just right on the edge of understanding, just a few more questions away uh, from, I think, kind of being able to trap me. The other advantage, though, is that I have is the moment I start to feel trapped, you just skip to the next person, you go to another question, uh, you, you can kind of get out of the, the hot seat, so to speak. But it was just so much fun working with these students to hear their uh, their questions, to hear their objections, being able to accurately uh, define and describe the things that are going on. Now, they brought up the objections uh, from the Bible, and that's what we'll kind of finish with here. And and I've talked about this a few times in the in the show, but, you know, I hold to I hold to old earth. And I think that um, when when understanding the scientific evidence and the creation account of Genesis, I think the fa- the way that fits best uh, based on the way that God has revealed himself in general and special revelation is that the earth is old. And so I would hold to the view that Hugh Ross talks about is that the the sun and the stars and the moon were actually created um, on day one or before day one uh, in Genesis chapter one, when it says God created the heavens and the earth. And on day four, simply the sun became visible, that there was a change in the atmosphere of the earth and the sun became visible. And so that's, I think, is a very good explanation for how the earth can have orbit, how there can be light, how there can still be morning and evening or the uh, effects of morning and evening, uh, but not necessarily have the sun be visible. Now, along with Genesis chapter two, what we have to understand, and and I've written an article on this, and I'll post this in the show notes, is that on coffeehousequestions.com, but is that... uh, Genesis chapter 2 zooms in on creation day 6. So all the other things have been created, and it says that God placed Adam in the garden. In the garden, in in that land, there was no plant yet. And so I understand that around the rest of the globe, there were plants, but in the garden, there were no plants in the Garden of Eden. So God plants a garden, then places Adam in the garden. And then he takes the animals that he had created earlier and brings them to Adam. And so I don't think that there's an actual contradiction there. Now, with the Trinity... I think it's important to point out that I misdefine the Trinity every single time I do an atheist role play and I have yet to be corrected. Not a single time has a Christian came back and raised their hand and say, I'm sorry, you just define the Trinity as three gods and one God or three persons and one person. That is not the definition of the Trinity. The Trinity is defined as three persons in one being. I have yet to have someone do that. And that is a huge, huge distinction when discussing the Trinity, is that if you're going to talk about three persons and one person, that is a logical contradiction. You can't have that. But three persons and one being is possible because a being is different than a person. I am one being, a human being, and I'm one person, Ryan Polly. Right? This is a possibility. There's the human nature, and then there's a person of who you are. And God would be one being, a divine being, God, with three persons, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now, this is beyond kind of our understanding in some ways, uh, but it's not a logical impossibility. And so it's important to understand that aspect of the Trinity. 
Now, maybe if you guys are interested, we can kind of go over the, the New Testament contradictions I said. Again, we have to understand really quickly that it's, it's when you talk about angels at the tomb, to say there are two angels or there is one angel, it doesn't say there are only one angel. Uh, so yes, if there are two, there's also one. And you're just pointing out what is relevant and important to the topic and the story at that time. But what I found is that these atheist role plays are so amazing and beneficial in helping students understand what they believe, really challenging them to think deeply. They often fail, but what this does is it motivates them to, to go back and to study. And I always say the very first role play I ever did, I got done and one of the students looked at his youth pastor and said, Pastor! We need to know this stuff. And he goes, what do you think we're doing? Right? That is often the goal is to challenge them to be encouraged. And as the, I've seen with students who we do this with, and then we train them well, we can take them up to Berkeley, stick them in front of real atheists, and have them really defend well, where they can ask questions that do an incredible job. So I love this. We're going to be doing it on Berkeley this summer, and you can have me out to your church or youth group to do this as well. So you can find all the ways to contact me, as I mentioned before. Go to coffeehousequestions.com, look at the speaking page, and I'm excited to do that. One last thing I want to leave you guys with before I leave is that it was just confirmed that I will be speaking up at the Student Rethink Apologetics Conference in Orange County in September. So make sure you sign up for that. Early bird special is still going on. I'd love to see you guys there. Well, thank you so much for listening to Coffee House Questions today. If you've enjoyed this show, I'd love for you to go like it on your podcasting app, maybe give it a rating, share it with your friends so they can enjoy it too. I hope this has been an encouragement. You can always book me for your speaking events uh, by going to coffeehousequestions.com. I hope you have a blessed week. Love God. Sip coffee. Think deeply. This is Coffee House Questions with Ryan Pauly. Won't hesitate to follow your love.